Welcome to the State of Developer Education, a podcast by Major League Hacking. We explore how technical leaders are creatively tackling the developer education gap to help prepare the next generation of technologists for the real world and build businesses that can adapt to any changes in the technology ecosystem. I'm your host, John Gottfried. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the State of Developer Education. I'm John Gottfried, and today I have Victor Gamov from Kong. How's it going, Victor? Hey, John. It's great to be here. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for coming. So to start things off, I always like to ask uh, our guests a little bit about how they got started in tech. Uh, so going back many, many years to uh, when you entered the industry, what kind of drove you down that path? What made you decide to work in tech and computer science? It is actually pretty boring. There's nothing very excited. So I chose this to do um, as my speciality very earlier in my in my life. And uh, when I, I was not sure how to make money out of the computers, I was just fascinated about computers. Um, my parents who gave me a computer at the, yes, it's the last two, two years of uh, high school. So I can start prepping for uh, university. Um, and, uh, this is where I started like learning these, but before that, uh, my, um, aunt is actually, was taking me to her job and, uh, they have a computers there and I was, uh, I was taking around and, uh, yeah. And, uh, I think I, I decided to make this as, as my, uh, uh, as a profession, um, very, very early on. And like, I don't know, like 25 years after I'm still enjoying this and, uh, Still loving it every day. That's awesome. Did you have any exposure to kind of like computer science education in high school? Were there any coding classes, anything you did after school that kind of drove that? Um, yeah, so we did uh, we did kind of um, um, some basic uh, computer science and the programming stuff. But I originally came from Russia, and our educational structure is slightly different. So like after high school, we go in. Uh, it's like either university or college. Um, so what we call it like higher education. So essentially when I finished my high school, it was 11 years of school. And after that, I went to, to university to pursue this career with uh, computer sciences, like I uh, was department of uh, automating systems. And the year after I moved to more uh, software related to speciality, like I switched uh, my major from automating system to, um, it, it's called like a mathematical administration uh, of, um, of automatic systems, but essentially it was uh, for formally um, computer science things. We have like things from um, some advanced math and uh, advanced uh, calculus to uh, exposure to things like functional programming and traditional object-oriented programming and uh, learn a lot of things uh, when I start uh, working as a part-time, uh, as a part-time job in the, um, it was kind of like a kind of sort of like electric company and uh, they were were doing installation of um the electric um electric meters and i was helping to um administrate the system at first and after that i was starting to develop some software around those like extending some of the functionality of the system just to make uh, life of the colleagues easier um and and the last uh, year like basically graduating year of my university time i i, I start uh, internship at the one of the largest bank in russia and um um i start developing um, um the web apps uh, using uh, .net and isp.net it was the time of the .net framework 2.0 so 
again, very long time. I got the exposure exposed to uh, to Microsoft tools very early on, um, and uh, once I graduated and went for uh, my postdoc, um, I switched completely with the different stack. I switched to Java and I switched to more like open source world uh, with the um, Java Enterprise Edition and uh, Tomcat and Spring Frameworks and all this kind of stuff. And uh, but still wasn't involved in some of the enterprise techs like WebSphere, IBM, and stuff. So I've uh, been in, uh, <laughs> across, across the spectrum from the fully commercial and uh, privately privately owned development platform to more open uh, and open source. Yep, you come full circle, J- just like yeah, Microsoft, yeah. right? Like exactly. they started closed and now they're open again too. Exactly, exactly. They started as a, um, their platform, their .NET platform started as a kind of response for uh, Sun Microsystem suing them for implementing uh, Java. And now Microsoft is uh, one of the biggest computer uh, contributors to Java. Um, they have a very strong uh, developer relations team around Java technology. So, and they trying to make the uh, the Azure platform as the place where uh, you run Java apps. So that's... Uh, ironic and exciting yeah it's funny like i uh i didn't start on net but in high school we were still doing visual basic classes uh which i thought was like complete magic you know like the mm-hmm. idea that you could build an application in this whole environment blew my mind and you know i hope they don't teach, teach visual basic anymore but like i think really you still can do the stuff around um uh when you're programming some sort of like a macrosys in your uh, microsoft excel or something like that um, I haven't touched this thing uh, for a while, but I believe that uh, Visual Basic is still a thing uh, on the .NET platform. So .NET platform is the multi-language uh, platform, so you can uh, compile basically any any language to uh, .NET Bytecode. Yeah, pro- probably quite a bit more advanced than it was when I used it. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So you you made this kind of journey right from you know these early technologies through Java through open source. And it's been, you know, something like 20 years now in the industry. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think has changed compared to when you were, you know, learning these technologies for the first time? Yeah, so the definitely there is more information right now. Um, so information these days is very well um, uh, available for everyone who want to start. If you want to start, you can find the tutorials, you can find the places where you can get the answer. I remember my times when the way how you would choose your program language was essentially uh, was up to whoever you have on your speed dial. So if you have a, your friend who knows C++ very well or knows the Borland C++ and you can do C++ Builder and stuff, uh, or you have a Borland Delphi person on your, you know, next to um, next next room or next door, so this is how you start learning because you will ask a lot of questions. Um, the next thing is that you also probably in my time, again, I don't want to sound like very old, but still um, the the situation with the outdated information was quite, um, quite substantial because um, a lot of books uh, that were written about certain technology, they have to be uh, translated into different languages. Like I said, originally I started from Russia. So some of the books that were popular we're also outdated, and uh, some of the things that you learn that are obviously fundamentals 
Uh, but some of the things, uh, some of the APIs, some of the uh, things that you have to learn, you start. You need to start learning um, the different languages. For example, um, I was super fascinated uh, when I first time discovered uh, Microsoft um, MSDN, Microsoft Developer Network. Is there kind of the vast um, documentation about the Windows API? Uh, I was uh, the Windows developer for 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 quite some time. I was um, developing C++ using like MFC, Microsoft Foundation Framework. Um, the after that there was like ATL library, another library like object oriented library for writing the uh, the, the the desktop apps. Um, the the Borland C plus plus builder helped a lot on the kind of like a simplifying the, the the things by abstracting this through framework, the same framework that you use in Delphi, and all those things. Kind of like you, you need to spend a lot of time on kind of like a rinse and repeat and learning yourself, um, like w- what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. So these days. It's a little bit easier because you have Stockware Flow. You have all sorts of tools that can um, uh, bring this immediate uh, answer to to your. You just need to ask the right question. Uh, essentially, the 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 modern tools like uh, even Chat uh, GPT three, you know, you need to figure out the way how to ask the right question, and this is this is how you get result. Um, in my time, you need to ask the right question, but it would be person that knows this, or if person doesn't know, you have to dig it yourself. Yeah, I. I had this really distinct memory of getting library books about programming. And a lot yeah. of them came with either floppies or eventually CDs of whatever IDE you needed to compile yeah. it. Yeah. And like 90% of the time, it was like two or three versions out of date. Yeah. Uh, and the only way I could figure out later later versions was like going on IRC or something and asking. And it, it was an interesting experience. I mean, I, I definitely... Um, I think there's a lot more information at people's disposal now, and it's yeah. a lot more uh, up to date and easy to parse. Yeah. Um. But but you're still writing books, right? Like you've published a couple of books. How, how do yeah, you make so sure at, that that yeah, same problem this, doesn't happen? <laughs> at this point, at this point, I switch from the uh, reader of the books into um, a writer of the books. And no, I, st- I still read. I still read a lot of books in in uh, about the IT business and and just in business in general, personal development. Uh, and sci-fi, but yes, you're right. I wrote um, during my um, um, careers. I wrote two books. One is was about um, enterprise web development, and the second one was released uh, just recently. Um, it's a Apache Kafka in action for Manning. Um, I believe they. Um, you can go to kafkainaction.org and stuff like that. Um, so it was very challenging thing um very similar sometimes people um uh, comparing this experience with uh, writing something like diploma or thesis for for your um for your uh, science work and i explain a couple things here so why i think it's somehow related so the couple things that you need to spend a lot of time doing research you need to know the topic very well because second thing that you know that many people will look into this one and nitpick and will judge and especially it's a um, it's uh, it's important in the time of, of internet because of the reviews you'll get the bad reviews or people will like start bad mouthing the some of the typos and some of the problems with the book and immediately you know you can get the um, not not so favorable um, sales and things like that. Um, motivation for writing books uh, though is slightly changed. So um, for writing books, 
I never consider this to be a money type of exercise. So I never consider to be, I don't know, J.K. Rowling and writing the books for life and getting millions because we're writing technical books. And I knew that most of the time the books will outdate the moment they will be republished out of the press. And uh, I have this anecdote, which is not anecdote. It's actually real, real life thing that happened. So when we were writing this uh, enterprise web development, it was a JavaScript book uh, based on uh, years of um, consultancy jobs that we did uh, here in New York with, uh, with my colleagues in, in my uh, previous company for other systems. And um, we put a lot of knowledge in terms of like uh, how you would structure very well and very well uh, maintained application. We spent the time explaining the modular structure um, before, you know, modules were officially part of the, you know, the JavaScript specification. So it was, um, there still was kind of, there was AMD, there was common GS, and uh, we had to explain this and it was not these days JavaScript. So this book written was, I don't know, like seven years ago. Um, and many things that we, um, kind of like showed in the book, they were not uh, not available right now. Some frameworks will have this, but it was an anecdote with uh, the testing tool. Uh, we put a lot of effort to explain the importance of the testing, unit testing for, for your application because JavaScript is not compilable code and you can you know break the things if you're not using anything like, I don't know, maybe TypeScript that allows to um, compile the code before and do all sorts of linting. So the testing that would be way how you can ensure that your application is uh, functionally is correct. We use this framework called Jasmine and uh, uh, the O'Reilly actually brought up one of the uh, creators of Jasmine framework as a, as a technical technical reviewer for this book. And he was, uh, um, once he did like his run on the on this testing chapter, he said, hey, that's awesome chapter. It's great that you guys put this into um, into the book, but uh, like two weeks ago, we just released a new version of Jasmine framework. Like API is totally changed. You know, would you mind to rewrite this so it will um, will be com- complete with the with the new framework? So I totally know that it's it's mostly for um, the time when we're doing consultancy. It was just basically help to drive the business, help to drive the clients, and also um, creates kind of like assurance that we know what we're talking about. Um, when we're talking to the customers. Um, and Kafka in action, it was basically same thing, but for personal brand development. I spent uh, working in the Kafka community. I worked at Confluent for four years. And I thought that that would be great milestone um, for my personal career. And I can put the knowledge. So when the Dylan Scott, who is one of the co-authors, uh, approached me to um, help him finish this book, uh, and the book was already in development for quite some time. And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do this. And, um, um, given the fact that I, I had experience with the, uh, writing the books in the past. So I know that what it takes to push this back, uh, book through the, um, through the finish line, basically. And I helped to update it again, source code, the community is super, um, fast paced. And again, the things that were released, uh, was around the Kafka 2.0. X and now we have already Kafka 3.0. Many things still are relevant, but there's some like uh, new things that uh, came into this book. Yeah, I've heard people recommend um, you know writing tutorials or writing blog posts to you know showcase your understanding of technology. I think writing a book is probably a different level than that, but um, yeah. I, you know I see the same uh, value for you. 
how do you think like developers should use books as part of their educational journey? You know, like obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, resources out there. Books are one, maybe you have online courses, maybe you have, you know, all sorts of different trainings. Like where do books factor in now? And, and yeah, it's a very good question. Um, very good question, John. So uh, yeah, the books are tricky. So they are expensive. They're expensive to write, they're expensive to, um, um, to, to buy. And uh, again, given the fact that they outdating like much faster, if you're not writing some fundamental stuff, for example, my, one of my favorite uh, books uh, on uh, computer science, it's called Designing Data uh, Intensive Application by Martin Kleppman. This book is, even though there's some examples of some of the systems, uh, I would say it's still fundamental because it explains a lot of how the systems get built. It, like, it reminds me the design of computer systems by Andrew Tannenbaum type of books, you know, very fundamental, even though, you know, they go even deeper on algorithmic side of things. I think those books are still important. Those things are just to give you edge on understanding certain things. Will it help you to get the, the like first job if, you, if you're trying to just get in into this community? Probably not. Maybe it's a, like it's overkill. Um, these days, you just need to have um, some understanding of certain technologies, plus you need to have some successful projects in order to get uh, paid for, for, for the jobs. But to be better on craft that you are. I think the knowing this type of books, like fundamental good books, even even books of Donald Knuth, you know, those things are full of formulas and some of the, the mathematical explanation of some algorithmic stuff, but it definitely will give you edge and makes you a little bit more uh, well-versed in, in the subject and understanding how certain algorithms works. Some people like to say that Certain technologies are indistinguishable from magic, but once you know how the things work, for example, like how those systems that generate images are working, and what's the what's the algorithm they use to train a neural engine, and after that, like speed up the beautiful images of some like a fantastic um, the landscapes, um, you will understand that this is not the, just the magic; it's just like a well-crafted tech. That uh, we spend you know time to 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 train this um, neural network and uh, uh, that's how you get the result. So they are not absolutely necessary if you you know if you can go through the bootcamp and learn from the tutorial and uh, learn design of I don't know um, a React app and how the app talks to API. But it would be it, it will make you better to like software engineer in the future if you would know these things. There's a saying about uh, the mechanical sympathy it's kind of like thing that came from uh from 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 racing world when the driver if driver driver doesn't have to be like a good mechanic but it absolutely gives it um them edge when they will understand what is going on so it, it will make them um make the better decisions about certain things that they do on track yeah uh, it's interesting like i the more you abstract development away from sort of the like core level, yeah. in many ways, like the less developers understand what's going on. And so you're increasing, you know, accessibility and ease of use, but you're decreasing, you know, internal understanding. Like when I started out programming, I was learning C and, you know, I don't write C every day, but knowing how all that works, like memory management and things like that, 
have come into handy surprisingly often, even when debugging like modern languages like, you know, JavaScript. Um, so there are some like foundational concepts that don't, you know, change very often or, or absolutely, ever. Yeah. And those things are spe specifically to troubleshooting when you have a uh, understanding of the end-to-end -end system. Um, maybe this is the my uh, like a consultant background tells me. You know, like when you when you come or customer on site, you will, would be expected to know everything about everything. So we'll try to um, investigate the problems like on the spot. So having this understanding of the things, uh, how the things work, uh, would definitely help. Like how how to JVM works and how to um, JVM translates this on the native code and maybe even more important things around um, since right now I'm in the, in the world of APIs and APIs are involved with, um, with network communication, understanding network systems and how the things and how the things abstracted out, all this kind of like a, a network model of the uh, OCI and um, how the bits and bytes, all this kind of like a fluctuations of the uh, of the of the uh, of the current uh, turned into the things that we have, like a uh, like a video stream or audio stream, and all these kind of things. How those things are abstracted from the signals mm -hmm. to the point where it's going to be packets, and after that, it's going to be meaningful pieces of the information that we're sending over the wire. That's um, that's exciting, and the things that you understand. Another problem that might happen when people will just solely focus on just the frameworks and things like that. Um, I think this is what described as a singularity. At some point, mm. there would be no people um, who understand how the underlying system works. There would be people know how to operate those systems. And this is, again, we're getting back to the world of magic. You know, the if the people don't know like all the things that happens inside, we might have a situation that the people will be relying on tech so much, or relying on the tech that they don't understand how it works. Um, it um, reminds me one of my all-time favorite uh, sci-fi show with Stargate, mm -hmm. and uh, how from uh, when the when the human encountered uh, Gwawul, which they were thinking that was the race that created the gates, but the gates was created by another race, and the Gwawul just basically was smart enough to know how to operate, but. They didn't know how to build this and uh, they didn't know how it worked and just they just use this so the same thing that uh, if you don't have like a fundamental learnings about the computer science that's uh, that leads us to these type of situations when do you think that that is actually going to come true like I, i'm kind of a skeptic about it you know when i think about the future of let's call it technical work broadly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um it is certainly going to be different but does that different necessarily mean that people understand less about how it works? Like maybe a good example here is like, I'm not writing assembly, you know, do I need to understand assembly? I don't know. Maybe not, you know, like, like the tools are good enough that you move up a layer, but you still have a pretty foundational understanding of the concepts behind it. Even if you don't understand the code itself, you know, maybe it doesn't matter. Sometimes I like to do this, kind of like a mental exercise, like what would happen if I would be like a travel back in time and like hundreds of years back, would I found the use of my current knowledge of computer science and the things in the, that time? Will I be able to translate this into something that would be remotely a kind of uh, resemble some of the things? Um, it depends how far in the past you will be there, you will be sent because sometimes you will be just like burned 
on the um, <laughs> on the, on the campfire because yeah, you're, you're not going to be mining silicone with uh, yeah. you know a bunch of cavemen. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. But like um, during the times of I don't know the the nineteen eighteen hundreds, something like that. You know how you would uh, get use of your knowledge of the things if you would just you know know the JavaScript frameworks, but not quite understand how computer works. Will you still be able to kind of like continue this research? Um, but um, but also it's also in the in the world of uh, like a mechanic and uh, in um, in the world of um, the, the electronics and things like that, right? So we don't understand how those things work right now. Like how how this work? Like how all the thing, how all this power packed here? I have no idea. I know how to program this because the smarter people put the uh, uh, API around this, so I can build my Swift apps or like Objective C apps um, to 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 run those. I'm wondering if the people in the hardware world will also like have the similar kind of. Um, aspirations about okay so what's going to happen if the people don't know how the binary logic works how the transistors are work because we do have like so much um more more powerful uh things to compute so the you know learning about the binary logic and transistors maybe not uh that benefit to build the next uh, i don't know like what's 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 the current uh, state of uh uh, the, of the processor process, I don't know, like like six nanometers uh, or like five nanometers, I don't know. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting, like mental exercise, but right. um, more of philosophical aspect rather than practical. Yes, I, I definitely think that's true. Um, and, and you know, with APIs, like arguably, that is the most powerful thing about APIs is that they abstract very complex functionality in a way that a lot of different people can take advantage of, right? Like, Precisely. You know, Absolutely. talking about Kong, like yeah. I have no idea how Kong works under the hood, but it does yeah. some really impressive things. You know, like where do you see that that sort of like learning curve happen for your developers? Like, do they care about how it works? Do they just want to use it? You know, what, what are people uh, doing there? Yeah, that's a very good question. So um, there's always uh, different layers how the people approach a new system and learning about new system. And uh, um, I will try to share some of like my uh, things, how I approach learning the things. So essentially, there is a approach of you just use the thing. You just use the thing how it's prescribed and you don't really need to think about this, like how, how, how it does it. Usually... Uh, it's only when something is not working, you're trying to investigate, okay, so w- what is not working? So I was I was doing everything as I, I was told to do. And uh, I don't quite understand why the thing that I, it's supposed to be working is not working. So now I need to go a little bit, uh, like going slightly down, you need to go in and understand like what is not working, what exactly you're trying to do. So it's a second layer when you... Uh, trying to investigate the system. So you're trying to debug the system that's supposed to be doing whatever thing. And with this debugging, you're starting uh, understanding um, a little bit more about the system. That brings us to the point where, okay, so it's at the essence, the car should take me from the point A, point B, for, but for some reason, this car is not moving. So what I was doing, everything that I was prescribed, I, I, I pressed the button, I... I uh, I press the brake, I switch to, to drive, and it's supposed to be going, uh, but it's not. So now it's, it goes to time. You either 
you know, you need to go to, I'll bring this to mechanic that will explain everything. If you're interested in this type of jazz, or you just like, uh, uh, try to roll your, um, sleeves and try to figure out yourself, like what is not working. Um, and for certain things, like when you, there's, there's another aspect, like the troubleshooting is definitely a bigger, the thing that makes things moving. But what if you want to do something that the system is not quite designed to do? It's another approach. So um, you want to do some sort of customization on your car. You want to install different, uh, the, the audio system. Um, that is, would be like more to your taste or more to your liking. And same thing with the, the systems like Kong. It needs to be like extensible enough so the people would do the things that were not be designed for 95% of the people. And 5% people would be interested in doing this. It's like when we go into world of like extending, providing like a plugins and uh, learning how the things work inside. And once you go into world of the plugins, it's more like, okay, so now you need to program against the platform and what kind of uh, knobs available for the platform. It would be up to uh, developers of this platform to expose this information from for, through SDKs or API docs. Things I mentioned with Microsoft SDKs back in the day. I also learned quite later in, in my world, I was fascinated with all this API available. However, there was a guy named uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Richter um, and Mark Rusinovich. Uh, Mark Rusinovich right now is a CTO of Azure. So but he started as a kind of like a systems engineer and writing about books about the Windows internals. Apparently, not all APIs that were exposed, they were, they were available, they were exposed through the public sources. So they were like digging inside and learning. This is what like a third level appears. You know, there's some of the things that you want to do in the system, you understand system better, but you see some of the, uh, you know, guardrails that uh, the developers put around in order to prevent I know, people from doing stupid things, which is always the case, and people trying to do stupid things, usually something interesting happens. Um, and yeah, and the, this is how you kind of like uh, go into uh, to depths on, on the platform. With the, with the example of Microsoft Windows, it was difficult to do. You need to have a, a lot of skills to understand how to debug on low level assembly, how to debug all these things. With the things like Conk, it's slightly easier uh, because uh, it's not that complex as operating system, but also it's open source. It's the, uh, it's the most widely used open source API gateway. Um, and uh, you can go read the sources. There's a community, a huge community where you can ask the question. Again, I'm trying to recall to the, my previous statement about it's good to know someone uh, who can explain the things. Now we have the whole internet that can, can or at least like a subset of internet of people who know how it works and can explain what exactly happened in the moment when the request comes in and you try to do something with this HTTP request, right? So um, it's definitely things are getting much better for uh, these days, uh, developers who try to learn the things with open source, with all the communities, the things that, that, that you guys doing with the, um, the, the major league hacking and stuff like that, like to trying to educate the people and uh, help other companies to build uh, the platforms where the people can learn the things. So it is, it is much better. Um, uh, it is much better. And uh, even, even the companies like Microsoft, they'll they continue to evolve the way how they approach the things, right? We talked a little bit about that Microsoft switched to, to open source model, uh, they <clears throat> they are monitor some open source communities. GitHub now 
part of the Microsoft. It's the largest social network for developers. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I always feel like working with developers, especially mm-hmm. on a developer platform, yeah. is this like really unique double-edged sword, right? Because your customers could potentially understand more about the technical aspects of what you do than you do. Yeah. And so you have to build things in such a way that people like feel comfortable with it and understand it and and on some level understand how it works because mm-hmm. they're building it into their own products. And I would imagine that's, you know, doubly true with something like Kong where it's like API management, but it's like for people who are building APIs, you know, like they might know a lot more about APIs than you do. And, you know, people are poking around, they're trying to figure stuff out, they're trying to break things. And it means that you have to have this like, these different levels of depth that you can get to with using and understanding. That's why you have uh, developer relations. Uh, That's why you have developer relations to bring back some of the brighter things uh, as, uh, as a part of feedback. You yep. see when the people struggling or they 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 breaking things on purpose or they creating custom builds of certain things. Yep. Maybe we're doing not a very very good job to providing them what they actually need to 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 fulfill their duties. So that's where developer relations comes into play and uh, become a bridge uh, between the actual company that uh, provides the you know the software as a as a software or software as a service or whatever, and the community. Um, yeah. Learning. It's like trying to build a car that mechanics will be happy with, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like you have um you have a, like a spokesperson that that deeply understands what um, what uh, drivers are doing and what the mechanics are doing and how they would uh, come together. But also you have a little bit um, uh, more background on understanding first of all like all the mechanics of the car. Plus you understand the mechanic of the business. Plus you understand the uh, the deeply uh, how the system works, so you can talk uh, the same way to uh, your drivers and to your mechanics. So I'm not saying it's easy job, but hey, you know we need to learn a lot of things, and a lot of things, uh, you know, comes from 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 expertise and experience. How to yeah. even right now, in order to explain some of the concept, you see, we're using metaphors, and those mm-hmm. metaphors uh, people can can easily understand, even though if they may not doing anything with API, but they would understand that. Okay, yeah, there's a there's a API called like a steering wheel. There's API called um, the the I don't know, brake gas and all these kind of things. Like yeah. that's that's how you combine those APIs, and uh, this is uh, the result. This car is moving. Yeah, I really like that analogy. So the the last thing I'd love to cover here is, you know, some of your work has to do with delegating some of this like community uh, and ownership to other people, right? You have a contributor program, obviously with any open source project, there's stakeholders from outside of your company participating Mm -hmm. in it. You know, how do you kind of ensure that um, there's alignment there and that people are, you know, trying to... uh, I don't know, like learn and, and teach these concepts within the confines of your, you know, product. Um, dealing with, um, it, it's always, it's always tricky when you're dealing with uh, money and uh, something that not involved money 100%. So that's, that's where the open source uh, contribution comes into play, right? So you need to be some of the things that people like to do um, because they're excited, because they are fascinated, because they are, um, like to do, they like the product and they want to make it better. It's something that you cannot put the price tag. 
So that's why the for us, it's it's extremely important to have um, contributor communities is healthy. So they understand that the things that they do or things what um, what we do as a company, as a vendor, will not hurt this community as well. Um, for us, it is um, the, hu- the bigger part of success of the Cone as a company and, and the Cone Gateway as a product, um, uh, which also will include know, success of service mesh like Kuma is also uh, part of our journey. Those people who contributed to the to our success, uh, we are treat them with respect. So, um, so that's why when we when we're releasing some of the new features, we're not not only doing okay. So, we will allow some people to do open source, and all this like a juicy stuff will go in in for the people who have a like a big credit cards or they have like a big chunks of money, which is not fair because um, this is the, um, and the, like having this delicate balance between like enterprise features and uh, open source features uh, it is always tricky. So, and there's a lot of, um, a lot of what we do, especially when we interview like new people, we like to have and like to find the attitude that understand that uh, the open source is not just a place where we can just grab some stuff and put this in enterprise things, but it's a living and breathing thing that uh, exists. I like the saying uh, that why open source is important for us is every time when users not using our open source stuff, they will be using somewhere else's open source. And it is okay when the users are building stuff based on the open source. It is totally fine. It's just for us, it would be greater success if we explain and show how they can be successful with open source, with our open source, rather than cripple our open source and uh, push them towards like a commercial aspect. Because in this case, it will create the opposite effect. Usually if the people would be pushed to commercial thing, they will just like drop it at all they will just go to somewhere else so it's always delicate it's uh in general terms it's very hard to kind of like explain all these things without bringing some 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 examples but in general the future on open source side of things of conk is also bright um our leadership and uh, the project management and product management understand this um one of the like largest features that were released in the in open source uh, the, in the in the last release, or were an open source like advanced uh, routing um, support with open telemetry, the things that are essential essential for 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 many people to use. And the goal of developer relations and goal of like good community uh, the management is to turn those open source users into customers, ideally, or champions. You know. Developers are so important for the companies that many people understand that developers may not be able to close the deal. So like they will not be able to swipe the credit card. But developers definitely have a power to kill the deal because if they're so, these days, especially these days, uh, if developers don't like the stuff that they use or they have like a stuff that has a bad reputation, bad community, they can find the stuff that they do, they're just not going to use it. That's what Hannah happened. And that's why for us, it's important to have this uh, very healthy community. Yeah, wise words. Um, 
So my, my last question, I always like to end on a fun one. Um, <laughs> I feel like we've covered a lot of really good ground and, and it seems like you uh, kind of have, um, you know, you're, you're on the pulse of like general tech trends, sci-fi, all of that stuff. If there was anyone in the world, you know, that you could take to lunch, like a technologist, a founder, a writer, you know, who, who would that be? Uh, I would really love to have a lunch with Isaac Asimov. Um, oh yeah, probably because he's one of my favorite um, sci-fi writers, and others on the other spectrum of my like sci-fi writers who alive would be um, Jeremy Robinson. He's mm -hmm. uh, also like modern sci-fi writer, and his approach to sci-fi in the popular culture is super super close to me. It's like I don't know. Uh, Zack Snyder meets uh, James Gunn yep. uh, with all the craziness that happens in his books. And uh, I am uh, almost done with uh, Infinite Timeline. It's kind of like his mm -hmm. overarching crossover. Um, but also, uh, very there's, there's very interesting, deep um, thoughts about um, general computer science, specifically about uh, like uh, AI and the simulation, how we living in simulation and how to distinguish if you live in a simulation and the bringing some of the interesting real world um, um, like axioms or uh, fundamental laws of math and physics and understand all these kind of things. So I like this kind of like uh, depth and the width of the uh, of, of this. So I think that would be very cool. And that's that's why I also like the Asimov because of the depth of the his like a vision. I mean, he creates that, an incredible universe, like Foundation, yeah. Robots, Empire, like the whole mega series was one of my favorite. Exactly, exactly, up, exactly. Yeah. And uh, you know, he created this uh, the multi uh, multi book uh, universe before it was a uh, because before it was a thing. You know, he yeah. he come up with this idea. Okay, so I will something was missing and uh, how he closed the basically foundation circle with uh, some of the things that he wrote in the iRobot series and mm -hmm. uh, what was the about the detective and the robot I forgot the yep. uh, name. Uh, yeah the, the whole caves of steel like robot yep. series. exactly exactly yes yes perfect yeah I like it man well well thank you um, I'll have to check out uh, some of those books and um, I appreciate everything you shared today I really enjoyed our conversation yeah thank you so much John um, if you all are listening uh, and you enjoy the podcast, please, you know, subscribe, share it with your friends and tune in for more episodes. Um, but thank you again, Victor, and uh, happy hacking. The State of Developer Education is brought to you by Major League Hacking or MLH. To find out more about MLH and how we power innovation, cultivate developer communities, and teach technical skills to students around the world, visit MLH.io. And then make sure to search for developer education in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at MLH, thanks for listening and helping us empower the next generation of technologists. Happy hacking.